0: We have heard the Islamic position on Christ. I want to start this session with the Christian response. But first I want to read you an email I received many years ago from a Muslim. I want you to listen to this question because it really captures the heart of the Islamic question. He says, I have a simple question regarding Christianity. I hope I can receive a simple and logical answer from Christians. Although my question is simple, my experience has shown me that no one is willing to answer it. The question is simple. Does the Bible explicitly say anywhere from cover to cover that God is three or that God is a trinity? Did prophet Jesus ever, even once in the whole Bible, ever explicitly say, I am God or worship me? That's a very good question. And it's a very common question. Muslims say to Christians, you want us to believe Jesus is God. If this is the great truth of Jesus, shouldn't he have said it very explicitly and clearly? Not just by hints and implications, but very clearly and directly. Why doesn't this great truth, that, why doesn't Jesus ever claim this great truth directly so that everybody could understand? Why doesn't once Jesus say I am God, worship me? This question has really bothered many people throughout history. How do we answer this challenge? How do we make sense of the deity of Christ from our gospels and the New Testament? I believe Jesus clearly and directly identified himself as God. Jesus put this is very important pay attention Jesus put himself in the place of God very clearly and in many ways. See, part of the problem we have with understanding the deity of Christ is that we do not appreciate the Jewish context of Jesus' time. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. The Jewish people were monotheists. They believed in one God. It makes no sense for a Jew to come and say, I am God but in a way that the Jews of his time could understand clearly, Jesus puts himself in the place of Yahweh. And not only Jesus clearly puts himself in the place of Yahweh, his disciples, who were also Jews, put him in the place of Yahweh. We must remember that the Quran not only confirms Jesus' prophethood, but the Quran accepts the truthfulness of Jesus' disciples the Quran does acknowledge that Jesus had disciples and they faithfully conveyed his message. And God blessed them and was with them. So how did Jesus put himself in the place of God? How did he identify himself as divine? One way I use with Muslims is this. My materials come from a book by Josh McDowell called Jesus, A Biblical Defense of His Deity. And these materials are also available on the internet. This is what i like to point out to Muslims. There are many titles and descriptions used of God in the Old Testament. Jesus uses those titles and descriptions of himself. And Jesus' disciples use those titles of Yahweh and describe them, ascribe them to Jesus. In this way, Jesus clearly identifies himself as God. These are not hints and implications. These are direct declarations of who he is. And we often miss out on the significance of these declarations because we are removed from the Jewish context of Jesus' time. So let's look at some of these descriptions and titles of God. Yahweh in the Old Testament identifies himself to Moses as I am. Moses encounters God in the burning bush, says, What is your name? Exodus 3.14, I am. Numerous times in the Gospel of John, Jesus identifies himself as I am. The Old Testament talks about God as the first and the last, Alpha and Omega. Isaiah 41, verse 4. Isaiah 44, verse 6. In the New Testament, Jesus identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega. In the Old Testament, Yahweh is identified as Lord, In the New Testament, Jesus is Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Yahweh is identified as Savior, Savior of the people. Jesus is the Savior, identified in the New Testament. Yahweh is King in the Old Testament. Jesus is the King in the New Testament. Yahweh is viewed as the judge of all people. Jesus says, I will be the judge on the final day of judgment. Yahweh is the light of the world. Yahweh is the rock that his people can rely on. Jesus is identified as the rock in the New Testament. Yahweh is the Redeemer in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Redeemer in the New Testament. Yahweh is viewed as the husband of his people in the Old Testament. Jesus is the groom in the New Testament. Yahweh is identified as the shepherd of his people. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. See, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, we might not understand the significance of it. But Jews who have read Ezekiel know what Jesus is talking about. Because Yahweh says, I will come to my people, and I will shepherd my people. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep, people know what he's getting at. Yahweh is the creator In the New Testament, Jesus' disciples say he was involved in the act of creation. Yahweh forgives sins. And actually, only Yahweh can forgive sins. Jesus forgives sins. C.S. Lewis has a beautiful description of this point in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, uh, you know, people who object to the deity of Christ, they really miss out on the significance of Jesus forgiving people. He says... Jesus forgives people, forgives sin, as if he's the one who's been offended and can forgive them. And that is something quite strange, if he is not God, against whom people have committed offense. If you hit my friend, I can't tell you, oh, I forgive you. My friend must forgive you. So when Jesus forgives sins, in very clear terms, he's putting himself in the place of God. And the Pharisees understood him very clearly. Who does he think he is, that he's forgiving sins? In the Old Testament, we see certain adjectives of God. He is omnipresent. Jesus claims to be omnipresent. When he commissions his disciples, he says, I will be with you to the end of time. God is omniscient. Jesus claims to have all knowledge in the New Testament. We will talk about the exceptions later on where Jesus says he doesn't know the time or the hour of the Day of Judgment. In the Old Testament, God is preexistent. He's always been there. He is eternal. Jesus is viewed as eternal in the New Testament. It's beautiful when he says, Before Abraham was, I am. People understood what he was saying. Yahweh is the only one that can receive worship from people. Jesus repeatedly receives worship from his people. Our Muslim questioner in the beginning of our session, when I read his question, said, where does Jesus say, worship me? But the fact that Jesus receives worship shows that he is the right person to be worshipped. If he was an Islamic kind of prophet, he should have told the people, no, 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 get up from your knees. You shouldn't worship man. You should only worship God. Another incredible point we miss out in the New Testament is Jesus speaks with divine authority. The prophets of the Old Testament say, thus saith the Lord. Jesus doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. He says, I say unto you. We read the Sermon on the Mount and we just uh, ignore this incredible claim of Jesus. The Torah was given by God to Moses. Jesus says, that's what the Torah says, but I say unto you. Jacob Neusner is probably the most prominent Jewish thinker in America today. A few years ago when I checked, he had written over 500 books. 500 books he had written. Many people haven't read 500 books in their lifetime. Jacob Neusner wrote a little book, called, A Rabbi Talks with Jesus. Jacob Neusner said, If I were a rabbi at the time of Jesus, I would reject the message of Jesus because he is challenging the authority of the Torah. And then please listen to what this Jewish scholar says about the Gospel of Matthew. Neusner says, no one can encounter Matthew's Jesus without agreeing that before us in the evangelist's mind is God incarnate. Neusner is saying, if you know what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, if you know the Jewish mindset, you will know that Jesus is putting himself in the place of God. Jesus was very clear about who he was. And so we're not just looking at a few verses here and there. We are looking at, throughout the Gospels, of what Jesus said about himself and what his disciples said about him, his students. Yerusalem Pelikan is a famous church historian at Yale University. He says, within 20 years of the crucifixion, we can detect a complete Christology of Jesus. Because Christians shared the conviction that salvation was the work of God himself. Christians believed that only God can save the Lord of heaven and earth. Pelican said that the oldest Christian sermon, the oldest account of a Christian martyr, the oldest pagan report of the church, And the oldest liturgical prayer, I will come back to this point later on, they all refer to Christ as Lord and God. And then this is what Pelican concludes. He said, clearly it was the message of what the church believed and taught that God was an appropriate name for Jesus Christ. I will repeat this again. Clearly, it was the message of what the church believed and taught, that the term God was an appropriate name for Jesus Christ. Not only Jesus puts himself in the place of God, not only the disciples of Christ who lived with him and walked with him put him in the place of God and worship him, but the disciples of the disciples, the early church fathers, identified Jesus as God. Polycarp who was the bishop of Smyrna and was a disciple of Apostle John. He lived between the ages of 69 AD to 155 AD, identified Jesus as God. Ignatius, another church father who died in 110 AD, bishop of the church of Antioch and a contemporary of Polycarp, repeatedly identified Christ as God. Irenaeus, Irenaeus, a disciple of Polycarp referred to Christ as God. He lived in 125 AD to 200 AD. Justin Martyr, an early Christian apologist who defended the faith, identified Jesus as God. Clement, Bishop of Rome, who died in 101 AD, identified Jesus as God. This was the universal message of Christ, his apostles, and the early church. Now, Muslims sometimes have great responses to this. They say, well, Jesus still didn't say, I'm God, worship me. Of course, I usually tell them, if the verse actually said that, you would say, then the Bible's been corrupted. If there was such a verse in the Bible, then you would say, well, the Bible's been corrupted anyway, and you wouldn't believe it anyway. But I want to give you some examples of some kind of Muslim, some Muslim responses. A famous Muslim apologist is named Jamal Badawi. He's a very prolific debater. And he has these outlines on the internet, too. And so he has a, he has a presentation called Jesus in the Koran and the Bible. And then he tries to explain away the references to the deity of Christ in the New Testament. And he says, well, you can't say Jesus did miracles because Old Testament prophets did miracles. You can't uh, say like uh, this, uh, you know, what he did was just very unique because other people have done that, too, or have said things like that, too. Now, I usually, my funniest comment of him is this. He says, yes, in the Gospel of John, Thomas cries out to Jesus, my Lord and my God. But he said, well, today when we get excited about something, we say, oh my God. And that's nothing special. We all shout, oh my God, when we get excited. But that's not what Thomas is doing in the Gospel of John. Jews didn't used to cry out, oh my God, when they got excited 2,000 years ago. Anybody who reads the Gospel of John knows that that's the climax of the message of the Gospel. That's the point of the Gospel, is to bring us to the faith of Thomas, who declares Jesus is Lord and God. Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm not sure you can get any more direct than that. He says, Father and I are one. I am not sure you can get any more direct than that. Jesus was not shy about telling people who he was, but he communicated it in a way that they could understand in their time. Another famous Muslim scholar in America is named Sayyid Hossein al-Nasr. Nasr is an Iranian Shiite scholar who lives in America. And he is respected by Muslims, Sunnis, and Shiites around the world. Several years ago, he came to Atlanta and gave a presentation at Emory University in Atlanta. And he was talking about uh, how the Prophet Muhammad is a truthful prophet, a faithful prophet. And he used the uh, And uh, he said, and he made a very insightful comment in the middle of his presentation. He said, as Muslims, we can't say Muhammad was the truth. We can only say Muhammad was truthful. Then he said, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he continued in his presentation. After the presentation, there was time for question and answer. And I was the first one at the microphone raising my hand with a question. I said, excuse me, you said it's a blasphemy in Islam to say, I am the truth, because only God can say, I am the truth. But you also acknowledge that Jesus said, I am the truth. So how do you reconcile these two things? You say in Islam, this is blasphemy, because only God is the truth, and you acknowledge but Jesus made that claim for himself. Do you believe then the Bible's been corrupted, and that's not a reliable statement of Jesus? He... he, didn't want to deny the Bible or he didn't want to charge the Bible with corruption, so he he said no. But he really had no answer because a Muslim even knows that to say, I am the truth, you are claiming an incredible thing about who you are. In fact, in the history of Islam and Sufi traditions in Islam, a famous person, a famous Muslim, made that comment and Muslims executed him. His name was Mansur Halaj. hallaj When I talk to Muslims who want an explicit verse that says, I am God, I say, suppose, uh, suppose a Muslim leader today would make this claim. Uh, if you know that in Mecca, the structure in Mecca is called Ka'bah, the house of God, the most sacred space in Islam. And as we said in the beginning of the course, Muslims are to make a pilgrimage and, and go around Kaaba at least once in their lifetime if they are able to. Kaaba is the house of God. Now, suppose a Muslim leader would make this claim today in our time. Suppose a Muslim leader says, I am the master of Kaaba. Suppose a Muslim leader says to Muslims, Instead of going to Mecca and going around Kaaba, Come and go around my house for your pilgrimage. That Muslim leader hasn't said he is God, but it's very clear that he has put himself in the place of Allah. That Muslim leader will not live for a very long time because Muslims know what he is claiming. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing in the Jewish context of his day. Now, let me in the, in the remaining time we have... I, I want to talk also about the crucifixion of Christ, which is denied by Islam. We have more things to say about the deity of Christ, but I will leave that for the next session. But I want to talk uh, briefly about how do we talk about the death of Christ. This is, I believe, the weakest point in Islam, the denial of the crucifixion of Christ. This is, I believe, where Islam is at, is at its weakest historically. And this is, I believe, where the Christian faith is at its strongest historically. You don't have to be a Christian to affirm the historicity of the crucifixion. It's the most confirmed fact in ancient history. Liberal scholars, conservative scholars, agnostics, non-Christians, all agree on this point that Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross. Let's look at some lines of evidence. The evidence that Jesus died on the cross is overwhelming. First, there is the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah will suffer and die. The death of Christ is not just a little appendix at the end of Jesus' life, it was not a little accidental surprise. He came to die. That's what the Old Testament prophecies portrayed, especially Isaiah 53. And if that's what the Messiah is going to do, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies, as the Messiah. Plus, a number of times in his own ministry, Jesus announced that he will die and that he will be resurrected, rise again from the dead. Only a dead body can be raised again. When Jesus' body is pierced, uh, the blood and the water that flow indicate that he had died. Jesus makes incredible statements from the cross. And... uh, Let's assume the Muslim hypothesis that it was somebody else who died on the cross. Judas, maybe. Was it Judas who cries out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? The Quranic denial of the crucifixion has serious problems. If Jesus was not crucified, how can we account for the conviction of every disciple that proclaimed Jesus died on the cross? See, I tell this to Muslims all the time. The message of earliest Christians wasn't that Jesus was a prophet who told us to do good things. The message of the earliest Christians is that you crucified this man, and we saw it, and we saw him rise again from the dead. And we are the witnesses to that fact. Crucifixion is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It's not a little minor addition. And that... And that every single book of the New Testament bases its teaching on the crucifixion of Christ. Another problem with the Muslim rejection of the cross is that if there is no, if Jesus was not crucified and Jesus didn't die, then who was it that was resurrected? Because the gospel message is that we saw him come back to life. We saw him throughout many days and weeks. He came and appeared to us. We touched him and we ate with him and conversed with him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. Now, there was a Muslim theologian in the Middle Ages, very influential one, by the name of Ibn Taymiyyah. And he said, the devil uh, fooled the disciples of Jesus with the appearances of the resurrection. That's a possibility. But another Muslim thinker, has raised this question. The Muslim think I'm referring to is the Iranian intellectual Surush. He said, Does it make sense to believe God would send Jesus to earth and yet allow everything to be so confused and corrupted so soon after Jesus? What's the point of sending Jesus if immediately all his disciples and followers were misled? Muslims really cannot account for the reality of the resurrection either. And a final objection to Islam on their their denial of the crucifixion is this. What does this say? What does the Islamic rejection say about the character of God? If God really rescued Jesus from suffering on the cross and instead made it only appear like that to the people, as Muslims believe, Wouldn't this act involve God in the greatest act of deception in human history? Muslims must conclude that God was involved in the greatest act of deceiving people. Deceiving the disciples of Jesus and all the subsequent generations of Christians. And he allowed this deception to to continue for at least six centuries. I think these are very, very difficult questions to Islam. I think anybody who honestly looks at the historical evidence will conclude that Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. I had a Russian friend in Atlanta many years ago. He came from Russia to study uh, for his PhD at a university in Atlanta. And he became a Muslim there. And the Muslim Student Association at the university were so proud of him. He... um, he was a very brilliant, brilliant young man, and Muslims were so proud to showcase him. That look at this Russian scientist—he has accepted Islam. We became friends, and we started talking about the crucifixion, about the cross of Christ, and we challenged him to do his own investigation, because uh, he was a scientist. He liked to research and study. He started looking at the evidence and realized that the Quran just could not sustain itself against all the evidence. He came to realize that the Quran is dead wrong on its denial of the cross of Christ. And he denounced Islam. He said, if I cannot trust the Quran on this point, I cannot trust it to be from God. Now, he didn't immediately become a Christian. He just rejected Islam. And after a couple of years of studying more and attending a good church, he came to faith in Christ. And he's a committed Christian to this day. I believe in our witness to Muslims, we must come back to this point all the time. We can argue about theology and philosophy, but we must confront the facts of history honestly. Dying on a cross was the most horrible, shameful thing. Christians didn't make this up to make their message more attractive. In fact, it made their message a stumbling block to people, just as it is a stumbling block to people today. But the point is, they didn't make up a message. They confronted a truth, and they were compelled to convey it faithfully. The same thing about the deity of Christ. Christians didn't try to make... Doctrines very complicated and mysterious. All the things people complain that the mystery of the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the crucifixion, this is so complicated, so mysterious. C.S. Lewis says, we are not making up a religion to make it easy and simple. We are dealing with facts, the data, and we have to be faithful in how we understand those facts. The fact is that Jesus of Nazareth appeared 2,000 years ago. He Put in, in a Jewish context, he put himself in the place of God repeatedly and clearly throughout his teaching ministry. He was then crucified and rose again from the dead. Christians confronted this Jesus and proclaimed the message the way they encountered it. Not a message of, Jesus was a prophet who told us about the straight path and doing good deeds and believing in the day of judgment. Jesus didn't just come to tell us to worship one God. They were already worshiping one God. Jesus came to reconcile a sinful man to a holy, gracious God. And the message of the earliest disciples is that we are witnesses to these facts. In the next session, we will continue our discussion on the deity of Christ. We will look at some of the other theological aspects of this doctrine, and we will answer some of the objections against that. Thank you.